very nice. <clears throat> well, I truly hope and trust that each one of those girls will remember that song in their life. It's a lot easier to sing that than it is to live it. Not that they won't, but it's so tempting when you start to grow a little older and you see the world and the world starts to look pretty good to you. It's hard to keep Jesus as your all in all. And uh, it's not always an easy task. And I want to encourage you ladies, you young ladies, to mean that song and really keep it, hide it in your heart. Well, dismiss. Teenagers, get out of here. You guys got important business. <clears throat> Anyway, <clears throat> I was thinking about old T-Bone back there. I call him T-Bone. <laughs> Those guys are horrible. He says, I'm no, he says, the Packers got beat, so I'm a Giants fan. <laughs> With Fairweather fans, you know what I mean? You know how they go, you know. I'm picking the Giants, he says, all the way now. Well, good for him. <clears throat> tickled me. But anyway, maybe it doesn't matter to you. But nonetheless, it mattered to me. I thought it was kind of neat. Psalm chapter 119. Let's take a look at a few things. We don't have a lot of time tonight. I do want to share just a couple of truths with you. <clears throat> I hope you're planning on uh, being at our couples retreat. If you're a married couple, we certainly look forward to seeing you there. Have a good time. Look at 119, verse 160. 119, verse 160. <clears throat> Nothing new tonight, just a reminder. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. In that same chapter, just a few verses before, in verse 89, we read, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. <clears throat> so thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And then we learn, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, if the word is settled in heaven forever, then that means long before it ever arrived on earth, it was already there. Therefore, every single Every single lambskin or goatskin or anything else that men penned the Bible on was only a copy. It was never the original. Don't you get tired of hearing people say things like, well, it's not in the originals. Or it's not an original. You know, the King James Bible is obsolete because it's, it's, it's not... Um, you know, there, there are older manuscripts that are closer to the originals. The last I checked, there's not an original on earth. It's already settled in heaven. <clears throat> you might not be able to wrap your mind around that because it may take a while, but when you get that through your head and you start to figure that out, you realize that there's nobody that's ever had an original. They've all been copies. <clears throat> That's a great truth. Anyway, Psalm chapter 12. 
Turn to, turn to Psalm chapter 12. And then the Lord, not only did he give us his word, the Bible teaches us, obviously, that he gave it by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He used holy men of God, as we'll see here a little later. But he also preserved his word over in the book of Psalm chapter 12. What was penned, what was put down early on, years and years and years ago, was preserved for us today in its perfection. He says in chapter 12, verse 6 and 7 of the book of Psalm, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And that book, the Word of God, that which we hold in our hand, is a perfect book. It's a preserved book. It's a powerful book. And we're glad we have a Bible today. And, you know, years ago when I uh, considered going into the ministry and I felt the Lord's calling at one point, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and obey the Lord, I, I had to make sure that I had a Bible in my hand. I had to make sure that what I had was something I could trust. I realized that everything in my ministry would rise and fall on what I held in my hand. And so, you know, I did a tremendous amount of searching through the years and trying to figure out which one of these things is the Bible. And so today I hold a King James Bible in front of me, and that's what I've used my whole life now from the time that uh, I was a young man all the way through. And I made a decision because I realized that my marriage is going to have to stand on that book. My soul's going to have to rely and depend on that book. My eternity rests on that book. And I just decided that it seems that there was a lot of people that went before me even that thought for some reason that this one was perfect. But I could never find anybody that thought the others were. So I just uh, did a lot of searching and realized that when it was all said and done, it would only be settled on my knees in the presence of God. And that's where it was settled. Because the truth is, if you do much study, you'll find that you'll end up in a big circle all confused over this issue. You get with God, He'll make it clear to you. But I just want you to know what I hold in my hand, I am convinced that it's the Word of God. That's all there is to it. I'm convinced. This very book that we hold in our hand, being preserved through the years, has been preserved in blood. People gave their lives so that you could hold that book in your hand today. The very book that you hold is the book they held. They gave their lives so that you could hold it. Well, we uh, hold this book and, you know, so often we take it for granted. I mean, there are wives that went without husbands and children without fathers. and All because so that we could hold this book. Today we have a Bible, the Word of God. It's ours. God gives it to us. I mean, it's His Word, but He lets us have it. And then that Word's hidden in our heart. The living Word dwells with us. While the written Word guides and directs us every day of our life as we read it and study it and meditate on it. I want to talk to you just very briefly tonight about the Bible, God's Word. See, it's been a bestseller for years. It's not been the most read, but it is the bestseller. Matter of fact, they took it off the bestseller list a number of years ago because they got tired of putting it number one. 
But what is the Word of God? I know it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but what is the Word of God? Well, tonight I want to share just simply four things that I believe the Word of God is, okay? So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll do that. Father, we come to you and Lord, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. <clears throat> Father, uh, I'm glad that what I hold in my hands is the Word of God. And Father, I certainly have had to build my life, my ministry, my, my marriage on that book. It's never failed me. It's been tried, proven, tested. Well, it's not only worked in my life, but it's worked in a number of other people's lives through the years. And Father, within the midst of this crowd, people could stand and testify as to its power and its protection and just its importance in their life. Father, I pray, Lord, that tonight you would just help me to convey these simple truths and Lord, may we be reminded one more time how important this book is that we hold in our hand. That we not take it for granted. That we not set it down and leave it sitting somewhere. Father, may it be a little more important than even the phone that we are so worried about losing. Father, help us, Lord, we pray, to be clear on what our stand is on this book. That it's indeed your word. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. And that's something, probably more than this book, most people would be more concerned about losing their cell phone, wouldn't they? Their iPhone. Well, this book's so much more than an iPhone, isn't it? Nonetheless, what is the Word of God? First of all, and if I seem a little bit uh, lethargic tonight, it's because I've been sitting in front of a computer writing messages and lessons for the last, probably, I'd say, ten hours straight. And that's no lie. That's not even an exaggeration. Um, I had to put together the lesson for the, the retreat. I had to put together, I put together a Sunday night message. I put together the Wednesday night message. I did all three today, and I was fortunate enough at five till seven to feel like I could walk out of there and at least share this with you. So it's just been kind of crazy. I was in the office by seven, I think, this morning, 7.30, and I've been at it ever since. And uh, I did take a break for an hour. And uh, other than that, I've been in front of my... my uh, my computer screen. So if it looks like my eyes are three times their normal size, they probably are. Um, how many of you get to work in front of a computer all day long? Isn't that luxury? Isn't it wonderful? Yeah, it's so wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> I hate those days. All right. Nonetheless, <clears throat> we go to, and I'll, I'll, I'll maybe, maybe a little kick in into gear here in a little bit, but uh, the revelation of God. First of all, the Bible is the revelation of God. In John chapter 5, verse 39, the Bible says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. They are they which testify of me. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. A revelation, a testimony. The Word of God reveals the mind of God. I mean, it's a revelation of Himself, revealing Himself to you and I. That's what the Word of God is. Every time I pick it up, every time I open its pages, God, the Lord Jesus, is revealing Himself to me. It's a revelation of God. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Excuse me, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, listen, as you read this book, there are going to be things that sometimes are a little bit confusing to you. 
There'll be some things that you're going to have to study and search out. Why? Because His ways are not our ways. And not only that, but His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. If I could understand everything I read in this book, then I wouldn't need God. I'd know as much as He knows. But this book itself is a revelation of the God who gave it to us. You know, we often say things like it's his love letter to us. Well, it is in a sense, but it's really a revelation of himself. Every time I read it, I learn something more about my creator, my redeemer, my savior. Every time I open its pages, I learn more about him, and as a result, I can learn more about me. Because being born again, I'm in, created in the image of God. Mankind was made originally in the image of God, but lost a part of it. Then he was born in the image of man. But when I was born again, and you were born again, we took on that characteristic of spirit now that was once dead. Now it's alive. And when we read this book, we're getting a revelation of the God who saved us, who created us, who loved us enough to die in our place. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1.16 to 21, it says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from we excuse me, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when uh, there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein do ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. And boy, we get messed up on that one. We get messed up. You know what happens? The preacher preaches something, and you don't like it, and you say, well, the Bible's of no private interpretation. Oh, you thought I was going to go a different direction with that one, didn't you? Yeah, that's what we like to do. Well, I don't agree with what he said, and that's just his interpretation. You know what you just said? That he's trying to privately interpret it. The issue and the question you have to ask yourself is, is there a biblical foundation or basis by which he makes the statement? Because if there is, then it is not his interpretation. It is God's interpretation. He's just communicating the truth. We're quick to want to say when there's an area of, uh, in the Bible or there's an area in the message or an area in a book or maybe in some workshop that we attend where the Word of God is expounded and we say, I don't agree with that statement. That's His opinion. That's His interpretation. Even Baptists are good at that one. But if it is grounded and founded in the Word of God, then it is no more His interpretation than it's yours. It's God's. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, verse 21 of 2 Peter 1 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Again, this is God's Word, and it is, it's His revelation to us of Himself. Every time you pick the book up, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, it's God Himself being revealed to you and I. 
It's the revelation of God. That's why this book's so important. That I may know Him, the Apostle says, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. How do I know Him? Through His Word. Because His Word is a revelation of Himself. Therefore, if I want to know God, if I want to truly know Him, I need to get into His Word. I need to find Him. For He's there. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Not only is this book the revelation of God, but it's also the record of the Gospel. You don't have to go too far in the Bible to find a record of the Gospel. It's going to reveal that Gospel even. Share that Gospel. You know, it's often implied, if not said, all roads lead to Rome when it comes to, the, comes to getting to heaven. But you and I know that's not true. It's not, not true just simply because we know that or because we say that. It's not true because God says that's not true. That truth is... Could ne- I mean, that, that idea is never found in the book, in this book called the Bible. Jesus Himself made it perfectly clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. I am the way, He says. Now, if Jesus is the way, it certainly isn't a church that's the way. I'm talking about a physical church. There are churches across this country that somehow imply or even state that if you don't come to this place and if you don't follow through with membership here, if you don't do this or that, you can't be on your way to heaven. You can't be saved. Well, the Bible don't teach that. This book, the Word of God, I mean to tell you, it's a wonderful book because it's the record of the Gospel. It expels out how we get to heaven. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Aren't you glad that salvation isn't of us? Because if it was, then that would mean there's some better suited for it than others. And boy, that would really make for a lot of pride and arrogance. And we think it's bad already, you know. Somebody somebody goes around thinking somehow they're better than other people. And boy, that just gripes all of us. I know how that goes. But boy, can you imagine if salvation did have something to do with our works? Then people would have a right to boast. But it doesn't have anything to do with you and I. It has everything to do with Him. And we're grateful that it's for by grace that we're saved and that it's not of ourselves, that it's not of works. Therefore, none of us can boast. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Well, that's a simple verse. It doesn't take a 12th grade or a college degree, a 12th grade education or a college degree to figure that one out. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. What's that name? Earlier on, he tells us it's Jesus. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, but it's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not Confucius. And it's not Mark O'Donnell. And it's not you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that it's a gospel that every man and every woman and every boy and every girl can receive and accept. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you're born on. It doesn't matter what your ethnic, uh, ethnic background is or your economic status is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to each and every person. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, the Bible reveals God's person and it records His way of redemption. And whether a man or a woman believes it to be true or not makes no difference. Look, if you will, in Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, What advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? Much every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. They were committed. Nobody wrote those things. They're gods. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Again, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Sadly enough, there will be a number of men, a number of women that will stand before God at the great white throne and say, but you don't understand, it didn't make sense to me. You don't understand, I I didn't believe it at the time, it just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they believed it or not. But you don't know, I was so confused and my life was such a mess and you couldn't possibly expect me to have understood and accepted you then. Doesn't matter. doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. You're going to have to live by it in the long run. It's the record of the gospel here. I mean, we have the revelation of God in our hands tonight. Revealed, God revealed to us right here. And we have the record of the gospel. Want to know how a man or a woman gets to God? You want to know how they get saved? It's right here. Bound in this book we call the Word of God. Number three, this book here that we hold in our hand is the reward of the godly. It's the reward of the godly. Say what I mean? Well, the Word of God provides direction for the believer. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. Notice the Word of God and how it's described here. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. 
The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. He says that this word, the commandments of the Lord, is pure, enlightening the eyes. Boy, He gives us direction. He opens our eyes. He enables us to see. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 119, 105, He says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But what a, what a wonderful thing it is for the believers. We hold this book. It's one of the rewards that we have as a godly, as, as, a, as a child of God. We have the direction of God at our disposal. You say, I don't know which way to turn, and I don't know which way to go in my life. Open the book. The Word of God. It's one of the rewards that He's given you as a child of God, that you're able to understand it and able to make sense of it. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He goes on to say that they're foolishness unto him. But to you, you and I, we see clearly. We understand this book. The Holy Spirit of God enlightens us and reveals truth to us. There's never an excuse why the child of God goes astray. He always has the right path to travel. Expressed, outlined, and given in this book. Great direction. It's a wonderful thing. But not only do we see that the Word of God provides direction, and that's just one of the rewards, but also the Word of God provides protection. In Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Again, thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. I mean, think about that. Every time you memorize a verse, every time you commit it to memory, the word of God is hidden there to protect you. To keep you out of harm's way. Because sin ultimately brings consequences. And God is saying, I'm protecting you from those consequences. I've rewarded you and I've given you my word. You need only hide it in your heart. Only take the time to truly digest it. I wonder when the last time was that you truly memorized a verse. It's not always easy, is it? I've been memorizing verses along the way, and it's like sometimes I just can't seem to get them. Lately, I've been trying to do it while I walk. Running's much more difficult. <laughs> I got to speak way too fast that way. You ever notice when you're walking or something, and you're trying, you're almost keeping beat with your movements? You know, I think it helps you to memorize. Personally, that's my personal view. But there's nothing easy about memorizing the Word of God. And let me tell you why. Because the devil don't like it. He can do everything he can to distract you from memorizing, to, from committing the Word of God to memory. Because there's protection in that. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Well, what a wonderful, wonderful promise. So the Word of God provides direction, protection. And finally, the Word of God provides inspection for us. 
This is kind of interesting. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 23. James chapter 1, verse 23. He says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Now what that natural face in a glass is, is a mirror. He's looking at himself in a mirror. He goes on to say, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth this way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... Well, what we have is somebody that's inspecting themselves. He looks into an actual mirror, a physical mirror. He looks and he combs his hair and he checks out his, his uh, uh, face and he uh, makes sure that his beard's not grown out too much and everything looks good. He shaves maybe, does all that. Says, man, everything's right in order. He leaves, but he forgets sometimes what he looks like. But I'm going to tell you something. He says, you go ahead and look into this mirror right here. This one. It'll reveal things to you. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. He beholds himself. Well, I'll tell you what. Every time you dig into this book, you know as well as I do, it just seems like something else needs to be handled in our life. It's just the way it is. I think sometimes people don't want to open the Bible because they don't want to have to face the truth. They say there's a little saying that says, sin will either, either keep you away from the Word or the Word will keep you away from sin. The, diff, the, 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 the real question is, which is it for you? You know, do you allow the Word of God to keep you from sin or do you allow sin to keep you from the Word of God? I'm telling you, it's, it's tough. When you're living in sin or you're doing things that you know are wrong, man, that, that book's almost like, like a cross to Dracula. You ever see, you know, you put the cross up Dracula and he's like, <laughs> you know, you've seen it. Come on, don't act all pious like you never watched it. I'm talking about, you know, you know and then you got, you know, the, the, you know, Frankenstein. At least the ones we used to watch, you know. I don't know any of these new ones, but you know how it was. Dracula's running around, you know, I want to suck your blood. And, but if he sees that cross, I mean, he just kind of, whoa, you know, he just, and then he runs away. Well, you know something? The Bible is like that with the backslidden Christian. Man, that backslidden Christian comes up to the Word of God, and they're like having a good day. Hey, 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 whoa, whoa. Well, nothing to do with that. They say, why don't you come to church again? Why don't you come on back to church? You want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because this thing right here reveals all our flaws. I mean, you look in this mirror, it sees all the way through. And that's a hard thing to admit sometimes, how we really look before God. That's a tough one, a tough pill to swallow. Finally, though, 
We noted, like I said already, that this book is the revelation of God, the record of the gospel, the reward of the godly. But it's also the ruler of the godless. What I mean by that is, I'm not talking about ruler like as in over. I'm talking about a ruler that measures. It's a, it's a ruler of the godless. The truth is, in a sense, it, it's a ruler for us too, isn't it? Revelation chapter 20. Turn there if you would, please. Notice it says in verse 11 in chapter 20. <clears throat> it's, going to re, it's going to share with us uh, a judgment. We often call it the great white throne because that's what it's called here. It says, and I saw a great white throne. Therefore, it's the great white throne judgment they're often referred to as. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, you and I may debate all day long what all those books are. But I can, I can guarantee you one thing. This one will be part of it. This one will be there. This book, the Word of God, will be there on Judgment Day. That's all there is to it. David the psalmist said, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. No one's going to have an excuse. This book will be there. By the way, can I tell you that's one of the reasons why I believe there's still one Bible? Because I just don't think God's going to have a million different Bibles up there to judge each of us based on what our personal preference Bible was. I just don't believe it. And yet we're judged based on our obedience to God and His Word. Here's the book. It's a measuring. It's a ruler. Measure yourself by it. How do you measure up? You know what it says and what it teaches. You know what it teaches about your devotional life. You know what it teaches about your personal views and outlook. You know what it teaches about dealing with lust and the heart of man. You know what it deals with and what it expects of you concerning your marriage, your parenting. You know those things as a whole. There may be a few things here and there, but in general, you do know what God expects of you. Here it is. It's a measure. It's, it's a ruler. Stand beside it. How do you measure up? Praise the Lord, we don't have to stand before it or beside it in that judgment. Our sin has been washed away and we no longer have to be judged based on sin any longer. But we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. 
How do you measure up? I just want to encourage you tonight to realize what it is you hold in your hand. I just think we take it way, we take way too much for granted. I mean, how much of the Bible did you read today? You say, I read my Bible. Okay, that's fine. How much did you read? And I'm not saying that how much you read makes you spiritual or not, but let me tell you something. If you don't love the book, and you don't have a desire to read it, to digest it, to understand it, to apply it, you've got to wonder how, how we're measuring up. I mean, come on. I mean, if I had a book out that said that you could be a millionaire in a year, how quickly would you read it? You'd probably jump all over it. you say, I wouldn't read that. Yes, you would if you honestly believed you'd be a millionaire at the end of the year if you read it. You'd read it, and so would I. I'd read it ten times. And I'd hope it'd give me ten times that much. This book right here. I mean, it's the revelation of God. It's the record of the gospel. It's the reward of the godly. It's the ruler of the godless. And yet, how little time do we really spend in it? How little time do we really focus our attention on it? I mean, when's the last time you shared it with one of your kids? When's the last time you opened it up between you and your wife? When's the last time? I mean, is it that important or isn't it to us? We talk about being Christians and we come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night even. We sing in the choir and we perform all kinds of good deeds in our communities and we try to win people to Christ and we say we got to use this book to do it. But yet, when it comes to our own personal life, how important is this book to us? How important is it to you? And listen, let's be honest. If, if, if it doesn't take a preeminent place in our life, then it's not that important. If you don't spend time with your wife and she's not a prominent figure in your life, and you don't spend much time communicating and interacting with her, then she is not very important to you. Whether you say she is or not, she isn't. Actions speak a lot louder than words. Everybody says, you don't care about me. That's foolish. Well, you don't ever go to work and provide for your family. You don't ever help out around the house. You never do anything that, to help the kids or to, be, to, to enjoy you know, their fellowship. You don't play with them. You don't interact with them. You don't go anywhere with me. You don't do anything with me. All you do is watch television, play video games, and sit on your duck. And you say, but I do love you, and I do care, and, and, and you are important to me, and the kids are important to me. You sure have a funny way of proving it. That's a funny way to prove it. So we'll let this book, the revelation of God, the record of the gospel, the reward of the godly, and the ruler of the godless sit on our coffee table in our back seat, in the window of the car, back seat of the car. Stick it in our pocket even, but then that's where it stays all day, 
till we throw it back up on the counter that evening. And we'll say, I love this book. I love it. But we spend so little, if any, time in it, comparatively. We're going to spend a weekend at a couple's retreat. We'll probably spend more time with our wife in one 24-hour period than we'll spend all year in this book, men. And we'll say we love it. Father, we come to you.